Hi, this is Cody Dagalorians. This is Neil Dagalorians. And welcome to a very special episode of Bearded Fruit. It's just like an after school special. That's except, how special it is. Except we don't go to school anymore. Uh, oh my god, no, we don't. We don't. Uh. So this week we're sharing a really cool crossover episode with our friends at the Social Justice Education Network podcast, hosted by the very fabulous Emilio Herrera, who's a longtime friend of Neil's. Yay! So the Social Justice Education Network, which is based in Omaha, is a collaborative multimedia platform for speakers, educators, and bloggers to transform businesses, agencies, and individuals in the field of diversity and inclusion through education and engagement, through accessible media, workshops, and speaking engagements. So Emilio invited us to be a part of a conversation about straight allyship and bridging the gaps between the straight experience and the queer experience, and we had a wonderful time. I think so, too. Yeah, it was a smart, engaging, and a really, like, fun discussion. Discursive. Yes. So you can find the Social Justice Education Network on Facebook, online at sjenetwork.com, and on Instagram or Twitter at sjenetwork. So support Emilio and the Social Justice Education Network. They're doing fantastic work for people, queer or otherwise, everywhere. So thank you, Emilio, for inviting us to do this. And let the music play. uh, Yeah, enjoy the episode. I'm Cody Dagalorians. And this is Neil Dagalorians. And welcome to be- Wait, this isn't our podcast. Our I podcast. mean, whoops. <laughs> so, uh, did both of you just happen to have the same last name when you were born? Or, or yes, yes, yeah, that was super coincidental. So weird. Yeah, just like, wow, we're the same last name, but not related? Weird. Right. No. no, we're married together. Yeah. With each other. To, to each other. To one another. Let it worked out. Yes. Yeah. We found love in a hopeless place. <laughs> Can I oh. <laughs> <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding. I really like <laughs> so uh what what is the purpose of your podcast? Do you find fruits that have different types of facial hair and rate them? Or 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 well, what that's is just it? a like a, a weekend evening for yeah. us. Right? No, that's no. like every Tuesday, really. <laughs> what is what's your podcast about? Yeah, the purpose of our pod, Bearded Fruit, uh, the purpose of Bearded Fruit is to sort of like yeah, talk about news and pop culture and uh, tell stories about what it means to be queer today. Yeah, like I think queerness is what ties all of our stories mm-hmm. together. Sometimes it's hard for us to find topics. Not to say that there's not anything noteworthy happening that's queer, but we don't necessarily want to talk about it. So like there was that one episode where we were just like, let's talk about turtles in Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about turkey, tur- Turkish turtles. Um, and we did, and we found uh, a half hour's worth of conversation about that. Um, so yeah, queerness and whatnot. I just got done listening to uh, this morning to your episode um, about inserting uh, LGBTQ, char- LGBTQ characters into children's films. So I know you focus a lot on Frozen, uh, things like that. So I think it's interesting because your your goal is just to talk about queerness as it exists everywhere and not as this idea that uh i don't know you hear people say uh gay gay culture or gay things like that and the question is or people say sexual orientation is a preference um and i guess your message is that it's it permeates everything that you do and i think that's something that people think of it oh it's just a choice and that's just and that's the one thing you do. Uh, or they think that just because you're gay, you have to act in one certain type of way or LGBTQ in any way. 
Um, and so I really love your podcast because it, it, it expands on this. I don't know that gay people are people. Is that <laughs> it's weird? I know yeah. that's a hard conversation for lots of people to really register. Well, um, well, I think that's one of the um, fascinating <coughs> things about um, queerness is that it does permeate everything. Like there are queer Muslims, there are queer uh, Christians, there are queer uh, atheists, there are queer white people, there are queer brown people. Um, and granted, like something that we're especially trying to do more recently is we're trying to um, be a little bit more upfront about our own white lens, I think, um, and trying mm-hmm. to in- incorporate other conversations because um, we're, we're fully aware that our our viewpoints are just our um, – coming from a very uh, specific racial and very specific uh, gender experience. Um, so we're trying to open it up to a larger uh, conversation because it's nice to have those conversations in theory, but without those actual physical voices, it's kind of, we're, we, we miss something. Um, but I mean, that's also where it becomes great again, because like I said, like queerness does exist everywhere. So we can pick and choose from every walk of life to talk about queerness in that specific walk of life. I, I recently just got done teaching a class uh, at Creighton University here, a private um, Jesuit college, uh, and we were using this this textbook and something that the author uh, – I would like to cite the author. I know his last name is Johnson, which is not helpful, but the book is <laughs> Power, Privilege, and Difference. And something that he said is that often uh, minorities or oppressed people exist – are often only seen to exist in relation to the dominant group. So that's something that, like, even if we are going to talk about it, I, I understand that it's really for the service of people like me who are in the dominant group as heterosexual. Um, and I guess we can start there. Is me as a straight person, a lot of what I try to do is try to see where I fit in. And it's hard, I think, for a lot of straight people to hear, sometimes get the message of you don't fit in and this space isn't for you. So the best thing you can do is just not get involved in it. I think because we have this... I don't know, egalitarian idea that like, well, everyone should be able to fit in everywhere. So, but, so there's a couple things there we can talk about. Does, does queerness or LGBTQ-ness exist only in relation to straightness? And, uh, and then are there some spaces that straight people should just not enter because it's just not for them? Judith Butler has an entire book about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, she actually uh, has this really interesting theory that like queerness exists to mimic straightness and straightness exists to mimic queerness. So thus none really exist. It's weird though. I don't necessarily drive with it. That's intense. Um, no, it's a lot. And it's also really hard to read because she'll be like, um, blah, blah, blah. In other words, blah, 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 blah. Another way to say blah, blah, blah. Like, like in one paragraph chunk of a sentence. Anyway, academia aside, um, I think, um, when it comes to, uh, spaces in general and, and whether or not, um, somebody from a minor- majority group can infiltrate the space, um, I think a lot, a lot of, um, s- something that I've been reading a lot lately is there's a lot of conversation about like bachelorette parties at gay bars. Um, just common. It's beca- yeah. yeah, it's super common, but it's also like, it's becoming like more and more, um, I want to say conflicted, like there's a lot more um, aggression coming from uh, people at the gay bars uh, about um, that kind of infiltration of space. And I think, um, in in my opinion, I think, well, bachelor parties have always kind of offended me a little bit at gay bars because at the time, marriage equality wasn't nationwide. So it was kind of like flaunting, like, hey, we can get married and you can't. Hey, <laughs> look at my sash. Um <laughs> 
Because they always have like they have a sash, like yeah. a bridal like Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know everything I know about bridal showers literally from being in a gay bar at the same time, and also like I worked at Michaels or whatever. Um, but uh, I, th- I think, um, I think it's perfectly okay for straight people to go to into queer sp- spaces, but it's always about context. So like bachelorette party context, maybe not so much. Just going to hang out with your friends at a gay bar okay like you don't have to be gay to go to a gay bar but then there are also some like maybe don't gawk at people who express their gender in a way that you don't normally see every day maybe don't um maybe maybe be open to those experiences maybe don't be offended if somebody assumes you're gay because you're in a gay space um i I think i think the key idea is context and and how you can be in a space without infiltrating the space don't colonialize queer spaces is what i'm saying is that is that accurate? Okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I like your answer. That's it. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. Your, that's your uh, contribution to everything. That, that is. Mm. Well, I just, I, I, but I think particularly in that, I think there's an interesting conversation though about like gay because you're talking about gay bars specifically. Gay bars in, in their as a, as a thing is changing significantly because of um, all the online and like app spaces that gay people have to connect. Like the the gay bar itself is in a state of decline and uh, and so actually like the the infiltration of non-queer people in gay spaces are kind of helping to maintain those spaces to some degree mm-hmm. well uh, it's funny you say that too because i read an article about um straight women creating catfishing gay men on grinder because they wanted friends well yeah what? it's <laughs> a real thing it's a real thing um i actually i actually talked to a guy once on an app who said that he was straight and that his girlfriend was so um this this was his actual story his girlfriend was so suspicious and so um um jealous that she was only he was only allowed to have male friends which is why he was on this app and i'm like you are not only on a gay app but also on a very niche gay app and you fit into that niche yourself but you know go ahead okay okay this is fascinating tell me more (laughs) like it was it was super interesting but that is totally a thing that happens too clearly not as often and like it's it's not as like I feel like the first impulse is to go to a gay bar, and the second impulse is to, as a straight woman, download Grinder mm-hmm. to find gay friends. <laughs> See, that's that's so interesting because none of that is on my on my radar, right? None of that is, is stuff that I think about uh, generally. But I am asked um, every once in a while to to speak about LGBTQ folks. I was uh, invited this last week. Uh, by a local group to to come to a roundtable for a business uh, to talk about LGBTQ stuff and inclusion in the workplace. And I thought it was really important for me. I said, hey, I'd be glad to, but also I'm not. So I would love to bring someone who is, uh, and that didn't end up working out. But that's something I think about is how often, when should I say no to when, if people want to talk about these things and they see me as someone to talk about, I a lot of times I, feel, I don't feel comfortable doing it. I was... Uh, just invited, um, well, in talks to be invited to a conference to talk about that is an LGBTQ conference uh, to lead a session, and I just thought that's really like it's it's cool for me, but also I just it feels strange, right? Me as a cishet person, a cisgender heterosexual person, being asked to talk about LGBT, LGBTQ people while not being one. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I do know that. Um... 
I mean, the, your reaction of like, I would love to, but also I am not. So let me bring somebody I think is like totally appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like sometimes in some cases, there are just moments where um, those kinds of populations maybe don't exist. Um, or like, it's just completely inaccessible um, to a group. So like, I'm, I'm just imagining like, um, a corporation just doesn't even know who to ask. It doesn't even know where to start. So of course they come to you. And like it, I feel like it's your job as, as the straight person who is in that mindset, like to be like, Hey, I'm not this group. And even if I was, I can't speak for all. Um, but let me like point you to somebody who is, who does similar work or is involved in similar things that could more accurately and more authentically talk about it. But I think like in, in like the everyday situation, it's, it gets a little tricky, like, like in terms yeah. of like just like talking to people and just like being around people who because, are because I think there's real value in having non queer people who can positively advocate and do it in an intelligent way with an awareness of not being a part of the group but being aware of the aware of the issues that face the group and to do it in a in a sensitive and intelligent way. There's a real value in that mm-hmm. because there are some, some. I'm sure there are some people who will not really receive the information from a queer person, but might then receive it from someone who's not. Mm-hmm. And so then the, the the communication of information is what's essential and necessary. If that's the the vessel that it takes. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And the obvious ideal is that a queer person would be listened to. But yeah. when we're talking about dealing with humans in reality, that's not how humans deal with reality. Mm-hmm. They don't like there's always and, and like we talked about this on that one episode. We talked about like the ick factor like that really does keep a lot of people closed off to these kinds of concepts and ideas. Um, so like they don't want to talk to a queer person about it because they're icked out. So they'd rather talk to a straight person about it. And I mean, that's terrible, but that's how humans actually really behave and they shouldn't, but they do. I say this as if I'm not human. (laughs) I, that's, I think that's always a struggle with my work is where do I draw my idealism and how do I temper that with what I know is reality? Um, Because there's lots of stuff that I think is right, but it's hard to to do that because of my idealism. And there's some things that I think is right, but I just don't think is feasible. Um, And, Neil, I guess like this conversation we've had on and off for the last, I don't know, almost decade that that we've known. Actually, it's officially been a decade as of like March. Well, awesome. Happy decade of being friends. Happy decade anniversary. And I... Of, and I think you mentioned one time you said that I've never treated you as gay. I, I've always – or some, something around that effect. And I just thought that was such an interesting comment, right? Because I don't know where that fits in in, in my head. I don't know if I treat gay people different than uh, – you know. and that's something – and I think out of all the people who should know, it would be me. And what I do know is I try to treat everyone – not not equal because that's just not real. But I try to meet everyone where they're at with what they're doing. But – uh, I always wonder, like, am I putting on an act? Am I am I being disingenuous when I do those things? So, how would you say if you say if, as you said, I haven't treated you like a gay person? What does that mean to you? How how does a straight person not treat someone like they're gay? Hmm. Well, oh man, that's tricky. I feel like I was seventeen when I said that to you. <laughs> um, but I, I'll also just say, like, um, that's super tricky because it gets into like colorblind politics almost, where it's yeah. like, how do you treat somebody like they're not? Um, and other without like without completely erasing their identity because like that is the key and I, I 
It's like, how do you, how do you treat somebody who's not gay? Uh, how do you treat somebody who is gay as if they're not gay? And I think it's just like, it's, I think what I mean by that sentiment is what I meant by that sentiment was um, just like a, a certain level of respect that is not always given to me um, when people find out about my sexuality um, or um, there's, there's always like an, Oh, that like, I never felt from you. Um, another like somewhat related thing that I wanted to mention. Um, and I think this is brilliant and I'm trying to bring it into my own vernacular, but over like the last three or four years, you've developed this habit where you refer to anybody you don't know as they, and that's just so brilliant. (laughs) And it's like, like, that's how you gender neutralize your brain. Yeah. I mean, um, and that's something that I suggest everybody should start trying because like, even like on the road and like somebody passes me really fast, I'm like, well, he's in a hurry. And it's like, well, we don't like, like we don't need to to gender a speeder. Like there's no need for that. And there's no need to like even promote the idea that of course he's, he has to be male because he's speeding. Um, and that's just like not very, productive in terms of that conversation of gender you know and i wish i could say that was some big intentional thing that i did but it's just i've always i've always done that you know and it's just i think exactly just because i don't know the gender something so i started using the singular they a long time ago and i've had numerous friends say hey that's wrong why do you say that that's weird and then so i was i felt very um I don't know, vindicated when, uh, which dictionary was it came out and the singular they was the 2015 word of the year. So I was like, Webster. Yes. I was like, yeah, I was, you know, I was just ahead of the curve for a while, but I know, I, I mean, I think, uh, uh, Maria, my partner sent me a, a picture, uh, yesterday and there was a dog in the background and I said, they using it, but I guess I never realized that. And I wish I could take credit for being super progressive, but that's just a habit of mine. <laughs> it came actually out of laziness. You just didn't want to even think about <laughs> yeah, gender. Like, who knows what it could be. Um, so I think – and one thing that I think people could, could say definitely is that we are three uh, cisgender men having conversation about queerness. And that's something that – I think a lot of people who who don't put a lot of time, effort, energy into this feels really off-putting is that the the deeper you, you go into this, the more that there is to do. Like there's no end. You can dig through the weeds forever, forever and ever on on these topics and it and there's no real end point that I see because even if one of us was uh, a cisgender woman, they would say, "Well, then why are, you know, they're all cisgender people?" Um and I think maybe that that craving for more definition has led people to want to exclude uh, gender identity from from sexual orientation, excluding trans people, excluding uh, gender non-binary people from conversations. And that's and for me again, who is who's taking this outside looking in perspective has always been really interesting to me. Um, what is, what's your thoughts, your experiences and like, how does that, cause I know also, uh, Neil, you post a lot of things about drag. So what, how does like, where, where are the lines and how does straight people like me, how do we wrap our heads ar- around those concepts? Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> so I tell my students yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, I guess like there's there's been a lot of conversation too about because um, I mean I feel like we talked about this on an episode a while ago. We talked about um, this columnist for like I think he had written for the no he was he was like a conservative gay 
writer and he was talking mm-hmm. about like like I think the headline was like time to drop the T. Yes. Um and like I remember we had like a kind of I don't want to say violent, but we definitely had like a pretty like angry reaction to that. Uh-huh. Um well, that seems to me like, and I think one of what we talked about, what it seems like is that that uh, inside the LGBT community, the the desire to sort of separate those things is really about people who are on the L and the G side uh, being able to sort of maintain some position of power and not get entrenched in the in the the less the 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 part of the battle that's that's not quite won yet. That now that we have achieved marriage equality, which is really sort of equalized a lot of people in the community in a way that others are not, uh, they don't have to worry about it so much anymore. And so there's that, like, with, thank you, we've got ours, um, good luck with yours, mm-hmm. which, um, I mean, that stinks. I mean, not only does it stink, but where's the fun in that? Like, where's the fun in, like, completely abandoning a group of people who, like, if we historically look at the events, have, like... All, all of the gay rights movements that are really impactful are started by trans women of color. Wait, wait. I saw Stonewall, and I know for a fact <laughs> that it was white cisgender men. That, that I, that's a lie. I did not see Stonewall. Because... Nobody saw that movie. Literally nobody saw that movie, and thank God for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, they took that Stonewall and they painted white all over it. Um... But I mean, like, and, and like you brought up drag earlier. Drag is like, it depends on who you ask, <laughs> um, because there are transgender artists who use drag. Um, there are cis women who there are cis women who, who use drag, drag too. And um, drag is all about just gender exploration in general, um, and a uh, exaggeration of gender or a um, blatant um, refusal for gender. Um, um, or like somewhere in between. It really depends on the artist. Uh, some some artists' drag is very um, what gays problematically call fishy, which just means that they're very passable as women. And then other drag artists are way more into the costume and the, the makeup and the extravagance of it all. Um, so, I mean, like, like I, I understand from like a mainstream hetero eye, sometimes that gets a little cloudy because it's like, well, drag queens are aren't they trans too? And it's like, well, no, no. Um, but like when um, Monica Beverly Hills, who was a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race a, a while ago, um, she was the first contestant to come out as trans during the show. Um, and if you're not familiar with uh, Drag Race, it's essentially. Um, uh, America's Next Top Model and Project Runway wrapped together, but then also their acting challenges because why not? Um, so Monica Beverly Hills comes out as trans, and then at the reunion, like RuPaul asks her, like, "Hey, so there's this question, like, where do you fit in with this?" And she just very, very blanketly said, "Trans is who I am. Drag is what I do." And that like nails the head on it. Like, drag is a thing that you do. It's a, it's something that you put on. It's a costume. <laughs> it's an act. It's a performance, whereas trans is uh, more more of a, an identity. It's it's a very soul um, knowledge of uh, oneself, um, of one's authentic self. So. Yeah, I don't see why you couldn't have heterosexual male drag queens. Yeah, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see. Yeah. Like, like I would love to see somebody on RuPaul's Drag Race like go through the competition, and then eventually be like, "Yeah, my girlfriend uh, back home. I really miss her." Uh. <laughs> What something I've heard, and again from outside's perspective, is that drag uh, has a habit of bringing out 
uh, misogyny and maybe that it's uh, men in particular putting on uh, an over-the-top act of what they think a a woman is and usually that leads to misogyny so i've heard things like like people criticizing names like anorexia and and things like that and acting in ways that they perceive women to be but usually in a derogatory way so what where do you think that fits in in there again i think it's up to the individual artist um there are plenty of incredibly problematic drag queens and then there are plenty of non-problematic drag queens i think um I think, like, to get analytical and theoretical, if you're going to say that drag is inherently misogynistic um, because it's um, men putting on costumes as women or what have you, um, I feel like that just enforces a binary and a binaristic concept of gender more strongly than you would really want it to. Um, but, like, there, there are some drag queens who are incredibly not problematic. And then there are other drag queens who literally do blackface. So, like, it's it's pretty much hit or miss uh, whoever is doing drag at, at the time, at the bar that you're at. Whoever's lip syncing to formation. Well, it also <laughs> seems that, like, drag has always had a history of... of uh this kind of like social rebellion at the center of it, which, which will lend itself to problematic things just because you're always trying to push boundaries and, mm-hmm. and cross lines. Like that's the, the, that's at the heart of the art form and its history that it was always trying to push those boundaries as far as they possibly could. So mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes they'll do it well and sometimes it'll be completely terrible. Yeah. Uh, like RuPaul says some like incredibly problematic so things yeah. like he, but he's also a multimillionaire. So like, there's only so much we can do about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard, uh, and I've, I've never watched any of the shows you mentioned, so sorry for not doing my homework. That's for unfortunate for you. You <laughs> are not living. There is some type of anti-trans thing involving mail on the show, like like getting a letter. I don't remember what it was called or what it was, but mm. but basically what I do know is that RuPaul had a, a pretty non-apology about that. So. No, like... Ru- RuPaul himself was actually very angry about it. It, um, it was a segment where contestants would like uh, get like a video hint and like um, of of their day, and like that comes directly from like Top Model, where like um, they would get Tyra mail and it would be a postcard that the models would read on the back, and it would give them like a hint as to what photo shoot they were going to that day. Um, but it was called "You Got She Mail," um, and like the funny thing is, is that like that wasn't necessarily. I mean, yes, it's problematic, but that wasn't what was harmful. What was harmful was they did a mini challenge on the game where you had to guess if, um, like, by based on like somebody's legs from a picture, if they were um, female or female, and that was the actual thing. And so you're guessing if it was a cisgender woman or a drag queen, and like that's where it got problematic. That's where it wasn't, and like they they got a lot of backlash for that, um, and rightfully so. Like that. Because it because it promotes um, this idea that drag um, and and trans identities are one and the same, and that it's just a costume that people put on. Um, so, I mean, that was super problematic, and that was not a fun time to be a drag race fan because it was really hard to be like, no, people, why are you freaking out about it? like, oh my god, so many white gays were so upset that they cut the female segment, like so many, like it was my favorite part of the show. Like, okay, then you're not watching the show because there are way better parts of that show. So yeah. Um, gosh, there's there's so many directions that we could go in in for here, and I guess like I said, Neil, we've been having these conversations for for years and years. So I'm glad that we could share some of the things that we talk because 
something I think about of, of being a, sh- a straight person again are the are the actions and the ways I act intentionally or unintentionally um, in a program that that we both used to uh, volunteer at. Um, I had a question for one of the exercises that, that really I thought about, um, which is, do you stop showing yourself from showing affection or someone for, for fear of being called uh, gay or homosexual or queer? Um, and I, I stopped and thought, it's like, have I ever done that? And the truth is probably, I've probably stopped and probably with you about that. Is that something, like, what is... Because I know for me as as a Latino, like I navigate how I how I interact with white people, just because I I want to shore my bets on like how I can best come out of the social interaction. Do you find yourself kind of game planning with how you will interact with straight people? Like you have a rule book. I'm gonna do this. I will talk like this. I will say these things, but not these things. Do you find yourself playing by a different set of rules rather than when you're just 100% comfortable with people you know? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and like, I mean, I, I am older than both of you by a decent bit. Uh, and I grew up in South Louisiana. So, um, being in the deep South in the early, like in the late eighties and early nineties, you absolutely had to live that way. You had to live, um, you had to go out into the world and be as hetero passing as possible. And I mean, I still, I still do that. You know, when, when I, uh, recently the, the job I work for, we had a big gala event and, um, uh, so the tons of people and lots of social interaction. And one of my coworkers uh, actually said to me, wow, this is the straightest I've seen you act since you started working here. Yikes. And, and that's like, she meant, you know, like I, it's totally cool in the context, but um, yeah, that's, it's like, the, it's like the mask you, I, I, that I instinctively put on when I'm meeting a bunch of people that I don't know, because that's, you don't want to code as, queer to a room full of people who can give mm-hmm. your organization money and there's even yeah. though hello we, it would have been fine and like well and like that's the thing too is that like we live in connecticut now and that's considered a very progressive state in regards to a lot of these issues even though that's debatable um and like even though like we we went to when you worked at uh, cody worked at a middle school for a while and we went to like this thing this event there and his principal introduced um introduced him to her like well how old was she four. like eight four? She was oh, four. god i thought she was eight like four-year-old daughter is like this is uh mr cody and he works here and this is his husband neil and it's like that doesn't happen in nebraska at least like most of the not like, like not often like i mean like not everybody can be as awesome as like Ferial's family but um it just doesn't happen so like it kind of like kind of like Oh, God, I don't even know what the term is, but it really surprised me. Um, but, like, I know in my daily interactions, like, I just got a job. And, like, it's not that I probably I couldn't out myself, but also I'm not going to go out of my way to out myself. And then when I teach, um, when I was TAing as well as when I teach uh, classes, um, I don't out myself um, until I feel like I'm in a safe space, which is ridiculous because I'm the authority figure. And yet, like, and yet there's there's that feeling like, um, can I be safe around my students? Um, which again, ridiculous. I should be, I'm the authority, but that's not necessarily the case. Um, and it's also very telling too, because we're both in the LGBT community. We're the least likely to, the least likely type of person to, and to like yeah. receive any sort of negativity because we're, we're white cis guys. And that's, we're also pretty passable. Like, like it doesn't right. take I mean, us much. What are, what necessarily are you afraid of? But those things run very deep. Mm-hmm. Internalized oppression. Yeah. <sighs> Thank, let's auto tune that later. <laughs> to, to oh no, honey, I don't need no auto tune. No, 
Don't come for me like that. <laughs> You're killing me. Um, Good. I, man, I, I guess that's something. And we have, I think, about 10 minutes left uh, to go on there. But that's, I guess we could talk briefly uh, about that. Is um, in terms of, of passing or in terms of just... I always think it's it's really interesting. Maybe interesting is the word. It's oppressive uh, how gay peoples uh, are kind of put into categories by... Um, I don't know. It's in, it's like inherently linked to sex, right? Oversexualized is what I'm looking for. Gay people, and that's that's so interesting because we, I don't know, straight people don't really have to deal with that, right? People aren't saying, oh, well, you must, you're this type of person because you like this type of sex, right? That's just that's super interesting to me. What what is that like? Uh, I don't know. Just like it seems like sex is the is the one thing that people key in on and focus on, and that's what people want to build an entire identity of, about. Uh, LGBTQ people about it's just that one part of their life. Well, what would you say to that? Um, well, first of all, I blame Disney. Um, <laughs> reason being that there are no same sex romances in Disney. So we learn our, um, our ideas of romance come from porn and not Disney movies, as opposed to straight people learning it from Disney movies. But I digress. Um, I don't know. I know. I know. People make a lot of assumptions on like even our relationship and how our dynamics work in, in regards to sexuality because of like what we look like and how we act around each other, um, or how we sh- are expected to act around each other um, that aren't necessarily true, um, or sometimes are true. Um, and I don't know. It's just kind of it's so normal. Like, I don't know, it feels like normalcy to me. So I don't even know how to answer that question. Well, but I think it kind of connects with the idea of uh, sort of behaving in a, in a coded way for people. I think there is something, you get very used to the idea that when people rec- recognize that you're gay, um, they're thinking about what you do. Like, that's, mm. that's what they think about. That's, how, that's their definition. So they're not thinking about the thing that you do that they don't, that they think is weird and gross. Mm. And so you want to avoid that conversation. You want to avoid that moment in their head, which changes the way they see you. They, they, they stop seeing you as just like this person standing in front of you. You're this dude doing dudes, that thing that they find creepy. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I've never like articulated that way, but that's totally what that that's, that's it. Yes. Like, well, and, then, and I think that then that, especially for, for gay men of my generation, that is that becomes that they internalize that. That becomes how they identify themselves. Mm-hmm. They, they identify themselves as gay through who they're having sex with and how many people are they having sex with and what kind of sex they're having. That becomes the identity, not the uh, not any kind of other way of being gay or queer in the world. It becomes it becomes so focused about that because that's how you connect. That's how you forge friendships and relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's how you're defined by the world around you. And that's so unfortunate because then it means gay spaces are really sexual as a result. Um, they still are. I mean, no, that's what I'm saying. Like it, it even in my generation, like, yes, like like we don't we don't have like comprehensive sex education that tells us in high school that we're okay for desiring things that they're not that they're not teaching us so so like where do we learn this where do we learn about who we are as as a culture and as as people and it's from porn and it's from encounters with others like us which often become sexual um so 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 that's like incredibly unfortunate and then it's really hard to foster relationships with people um who are queer sometimes because (laughs) there is 
that um, there is that component. So it's almost like like my best queer friends are those who have no sexual interest in me and I have no sexual interest in them. And like, it's like, you have to like, you have to, there should be like an app for, de- for that we can download, find like people that we're not interested in just so that we can be friends. Like, I just want to play video games with you, man. And like have our queerness, like, and our struggle mm-hmm. with that as our tying and not the fact that like we have sex in a certain yeah. way. But then, and then on the flip side of that, you also, there's also, so like some argument to be made that because we have had to develop a whole set of like a whole system of rules and to navigate different systems sexually that and, and not be connected to those traditional sexual expectations that straight couples have to be a part of that we've developed um, uh, we develop ways to sort of navigate things like non-monogamy and polyamory in ways that are more comfortable than for our straight counterparts. So mm-hmm. like there is that. Yeah, that's there's, a there's positive, trade-off. I guess. But, like, that doesn't help 12-year-old kids, you know? Like, it doesn't. It doesn't. Oh, come on. 12-year-old kids are totally polyamorous. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, like, it, it, like uh, a lot of the times when it comes to those kinds of, like, radical conversations about queerness, I'm like, okay, but what about the kid who's, like, in eighth grade who wants to kill himself? Like, how does this benefit him? Um, or, like, what about, what about the girl who's trying to get into the restroom that she feels most comfortable in in high school? How does this help her? Um, and a lot of those conversations are kind of they're kind of pointless because if anything, um, a lot of them tend to create even a stronger ick factor for some people. And I'm not saying that those conversations don't have to happen. They do have to happen, but it's the context of those conversations. Like, I don't know. That's, that's a little rambly, but, um, I think that like, um, it's hard. That is my answer. It's hard. It's really hard. And like, I think, Thanks. No, and I know, like in in high school, like when we first, uh, like when we first met, when I was in high school and you were in high school, and like all the friends and stuff. I remember there was like a certain sense of I don't want to say pride, but there was something that I was I was proud of that like I would be like the covert gay, where it's like um, you don't know until I come out, and then you're like, wow, I never would have guessed. Now I remember like there was something really empowering about that, um, but as a result. I don't hold hands with Cody when I want to because I feel like I can't. So it's like, there's your trade-off, high school, Neil. Like, you are, like, starting to finally become comfortable with who you are um, when you are thousands of miles away from those people you used to know in high school. Um, And you're still feeling those effects. So, like, good job, Neil. Hooray. Wow. That is... That's all... All that is amazing. Uh... I guess like, I yeah you know, all that is just it's it's good stuff to hear and again from for for me who um I think everyone wants to have an opinion on things and humans humans when uh not given information rarely stop and say oh I should find out more they just say I'm just going to make something up and that's what I'm going to believe so I I try to avoid that with every subject that I I just don't that I don't live uh cuz I just assume that I'll I'll probably guess wrong so and like I said, I've known you for a decade, but there's this isn't stuff that I have to think about ever. I rarely think about my sexual orientation just because it is the the one that's considered normal by society. Um, one one last thing. Uh, oh, never mind. It's time to go. We we have we have to. <laughs> so so everyone who's like, oh, we should, you know, I wish we had it. Oh, we'll do this again at some point because this is uh, we could talk forever and and this is fun. Um, maybe especially now that we know how to do yeah, this technologically yeah, speaking yeah. <laughs> yeah, anytime you want to fly me up to Connecticut I will also do this in person so 
Oh, girl. <laughs> We're moving soon. I and... saw. Yeah. But it... we have a spare room for you. We have right? a spare room. We just will have literally $20. <laughs> so I hope you like white rice and black beans because yeah. that's what you're eating when Delicious. you get up here. <laughs> Deal. Deal. So next time I'm on the East Coast. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. All right, guys. Well, guys, girls, fans, friends. Uh, people who hate listen, that's okay too. Uh, Friend, frenemies. Frenemies, yeah. This was uh, an awesome episode with the people from the Beard or Fruit. How can we find you on the internet? You can find us on Facebook, uh, search for Bearded Fruit, or you can find us on the web at www.beardedfruit.com. Also, we're on iTunes. Yeah, there too. Subscribe. <laughs> Yeah, so so give them a like. Uh, <laughs> You're so good um, at that. That's why I let you do it. I practice. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it. We did it. Yay. Yay.